Hey everybody, my name is Tony Hughes. I am co-founder of Sales IQ Global. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I am so excited. This is the first of our CEO Sales Insights shows. I've got an incredible CEO that's going to be sharing some real wisdom for people today. Just to let you know a little bit about what we're trying to do with this program is we're going to be running it once a month at the end of each month uh, with a CEO from the real world and they're going to provide us with some real world wisdom for leaders, so aspiring CEOs, business leaders, on what it takes to drive top line revenue growth and really create the right customer centric uh, sales culture inside your organization. Uh, so you'll get huge benefit from that. And then the other thing we're doing is we're giving sellers, uh, people who aspire to sell to the CEO or into the C-suite, some real insights in what it takes to really engage with people at that level. Uh, the program today is going to go for uh, 45 minutes. The plan is it's about a half hour chat, about 30 minutes uh, with our CEO, and then we'll go to Q&A. So we'll, we'll be monitoring questions. So please feel free to put those in. We're streaming out to multiple platforms. I know we've got a lot of people that registered for this and that have also joined us with LinkedIn Live. So uh, I'll bring our guest into the studio in a moment. Uh, but just to introduce him, we've got Simon Tate. Uh, I've known Simon for decades. He is an amazing leader, uh, delivering incredible results. He currently serves uh, as president of Asia Pacific for Adobe, which is the second most valuable software company in the world if you measure it by market capitalization. Prior to that, Simon ran uh, Asia for Salesforce as both a senior vice president and chief operating role. He's also held very senior uh, roles with companies, uh, household names in the world of B2B selling, uh, SAP and Dell EMC. Uh, Simon is also uh, the creator of a patent pending uh, risk methodology for selling, for enterprise selling called P6. Um, and you'll hear Simon's background a little later, but he's put a lot of time and energy into solving the problem how do you drive predictable forecasting for the board inside an organization? Um, a little depressingly, he's also an avid rugby fan, which is not that great if you're an Australian at the moment. Uh, he lives uh, on the North Shore of Sydney. Uh, his hobbies uh, uh, include boating. He's got a, a lovely boat that he spends some time in Pittwater. He's married uh, with two teenage children. So without any further ado, uh, I'll just bring Simon in. So Simon, welcome. Thank you very much, Tony. Appreciate the generous introduction and great to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm really excited about the conversation. So, um, hey, why don't we just kick things off? Um, I've just given people your formal introduction, but tell people a little bit more about your background and what your path was through into leadership in the corporate world. Yeah, um, well, it, it started really in, in a company you and I uh, both know very well back, back in the day, a company called Hummingbird. Um, I made the decision very early in my career to go from individual contributor into leadership. Uh, that was a difficult decision because the best time to do it uh, is normally when you're at the top of your game, which I'd like to think I was. Uh, but I was still fairly young. I was 33. And uh, at that stage, uh, EMC um, decided to take a punt on me and promote me into a very senior role uh, without me having had a lot of prior leadership experience. Uh, in fact, I'd go as far to say that I had none. Um, but I thought at that moment, well, if they were willing to take the punt, why not back myself? And so that really set a 
trajectory into leadership that I'll be forever grateful for. Uh, it wasn't easy, by the way. I'm sure many people that are looking at making that transition or have done it um, would say that those first few years are really tough. Uh, but that was really the start of it, and from then went on to SAP and then into Salesforce and now obviously into Adobe. So uh, it's been an amazing ride, uh, and it's not over yet. I, I still like to think that I'm still 33. Yeah, and you, you and I have got something in common that we both got to that sort of CEO role, you know, running the Asia APAC region through a path of selling. What did what, what were the biggest transitions that you needed to make from being an individual contributor and then sales leader to general management and corporate leadership? Oh wow! I mean, uh, it's a, it's a shopping list of things, Tony. But you know, I think a big part of it is obviously when you're an individual contributor, you're geared to being completely selfish, and for good reason. It's you know the, the job is designed uh, for you to get the results and to do whatever you need to do to get the results. And it's all around, you know, success through self. Uh, of course, when you make a transition into leadership, it's all around success through others. Uh, and I think over time, as the companies I've worked for have become bigger and more highly matrixed, uh, and as, you know, other external factors like work from home come into play, uh, the ability to remain not only productive, but really buy into that notion of being successful is about success through others was the single biggest lesson. And then, of course, there's a whole lot of things that you need to learn just by way of life tenure as opposed to professional tenure. And I think the older you get and the more life experience you have, those those lessons become a little easier to learn. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I've certainly found is that most most problems in business are solvable but top line revenue problems can be terminal. What's what's your advice to people on how to really drive consistent quality top line revenue? I, I guess there's the issue of retaining and growing your existing customers at one dimension, and then winning new logos is kind of a key lead indicator of the real health of a business. So what, what's your advice to other leaders on focusing on that element of the business that's just so critical? Yeah, well, it's interesting, Tony. I mean, obviously, I talk to a lot of executives as part of my role, um, you know, running Adobe for APAC, and I often ask them the question, if you could choose only one, that is, you can have top-line growth or you could have bottom-line margin expansion or cost out, uh, which would you have? And, of course, the answer I get is, well, I want both. So I ask the question again, and it always comes down to, well, look, if I can only have one, I'll take top-line revenue growth. And of course, that makes sense. Uh, and you know, it's 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 no different in our business. We're we're chasing top line growth um, with healthy margin expansion, obviously. But top line growth is key. And it's not just about top line growth with the executives that I talk to. It's about predictable and sustainable top line growth um, because no one likes surprises. It was interesting, only this week I was talking to the CEO of a large bank uh, who said, Simon, no one's offering free kicks because of COVID. Our shareholders still expect top-line growth. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting because there's no point turning on something that lasts a quarter. Uh, whatever initiatives you have in place to drive growth has to be predictable and has to be sustainable. Mate, let me let me make a confession to to you and all of those listening. Um, I I know for me, 
in leading companies. I've, I've been out of the corporate world for nearly a decade now. I escaped uh, going and doing consulting in this. But I, I used to feel that at the end of most quarters, I'd sort of age a whole year of my life. And I'm just, just going back to that comment that you made about no one likes surprises. It's all going to be predictable. Um, you know, the forecast is everything for the leader, right? The, 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 the board, the, the people above you at your level just expect predictable results. How, how do you drive the risk out of delivering a predictable forecast for the board? In an organization and you've and you've got a huge span of control i think you've got what five thousand staff in in your organization you would have dozens of leaders that are reporting up into you this you can't get across everything so hat, hat, and look there's a really interesting comment for those listening i was talking to simon uh about five days ago just to set this up for today and he said i've actually got a pretty quiet week you know it's the last week of the quarter and, and i said what like isn't this the most stressful week of the quarter and and t tell tell people what you said to me when I made that comment. <laughs> I can't remember, but <laughs> but well, um, you, you, see, you 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 said it's too late for me to really have any impact now. You know, that's all, true. All, all, all all of the things that can be done have been done. Now everybody just needs to execute, right? So you'd work really hard in the lead up to that final week. Yeah. No, that's true. And you know, back to your points about being predictable. Um, you know, that's obviously part of the, the cadence that, that we have in place uh, and, you know, part of the cadence operationally that's I've championed in all of the, the businesses that I've worked in. Um, but we're especially good at it. And, you know, part of that, Tony, is sales process, you know, good old-fashioned sales process. Uh, and you and I have spoken about this topic um, many times. But if, if you think of any sales process, it doesn't matter what it is, being bookended by two things. On one side, you have the cadence, the methodology, and the discipline around pipeline and pipe gen. So that's one bookend of a sales process. At the other end, uh, the other bookend is obviously the cadence, the methodology, and the process around forecasting, the means by which you construct the forecast. You call a number and you hit it. Well, of course, everything in between, especially for enterprise B2B salespeople, is about taking risk off deals. If you think about it, a deal cycle starts in early stage with high risk, and as it progresses, there are, at least if you subscribe to the P6 methodology, there are six areas of risk in any given deal. And the job of a professional salesperson, sales team, sales leader, is to progressively take risk off those big deals, such that by the time they're ready to close, they're 100% predictable. And the lack of linearity in a business is not necessarily a function of, of getting the maths wrong. It's a function of those one or two big deals that if they don't happen, makes the difference between hitting 95% of your number or 110% of your number. And so it goes to say that if you're managing risk on those big enterprise deals, by definition, you'll have a much more predictable, linear and consistent business. So you know, that's where the P6 methodology fits in terms of the sales process value chain. Um, but at Adobe, we use a whole lot of other tools as well. We have a very uh, interesting DDOM model, data operating, uh, data-driven operating model, which allows us algorithmically uh, to get a lot more accurate in terms of our forecast and our predictability across all parts of our business, whether it be our consumer A.com business all the way up to enterprise. 
So, you know, Tony, I think this is something that every sales leader grapples with, and it's where all of the stress is. Uh, at the end of the quarter, it's always about, well, are you going to hit the number that you said you will hit? Um, and uh, you know how that conversation goes. <laughs> I do. And, and and you've typically got to nominate that number about six weeks out, right? And and, and they expect you to hit it. Do you, do, do you know, for me, Simon, when I was in my uh, sort of early mid-20s, I went to the States. I, ran, I set up my own company in the States for a couple of years, and I learned a really big lesson. If you can't personally sell, you're just nowhere as a business leader or an entrepreneur. And one of the things I find, um, especially here in Australia, is so many CEOs I work with kind of look at their sales organization as this mystery black box thing that they don't really understand and they're incredibly frustrated at the variable results and the nasty surprises. And it, it just amazes me how many... Uh, business leaders don't really understand selling. And if, if you don't understand it, how are you going to drive it and hold people to account? Because in my view, uh, any any sort of toe cutter or buffoon can go in and cut costs, you know, as a tactic, but it takes real strategy and smarts and grit to go and drive a sustainable growth strategy. So, you know, what, what what's your advice to CEOs that are watching this that feel like, hey, look, I don't really understand this this mystery of selling. What 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 should they do to try and get across it well? Well, Tony, look, one of the lessons I learned very early, and and it helped me obviously because I came through the, the sales track, um, is I've never lost touch with the people that really matter, which is account executives. Um, so it doesn't matter how high or how far you go. Uh, you have to have empathy and deep connection to the people that are closest to the deals and closest to the customers, and that is the account executives. So my advice to any CEO would be spend time in the field. Uh, and, of course, many CEOs that I know do exactly that. In fact, they love doing that. Uh, and it doesn't take long uh, for them to build that same level of empathy in and trust in the sales process and the salespeople when they spend time in the field on real deals with real customers talking about real customer problems. Uh, I think companies that get this wrong uh, where the executive is so far removed from what's actually happening at a grassroots level in the trenches. Um, but in my experience, and certainly for the organisations that I've worked for, and especially at Adobe, that has absolutely not happened. You know, we have very strong connection into the account executives. And they really, Tony, are the ones that are making or breaking a quarter. Um, you know, to your previous points on why it's a quiet week for me, well, I don't want to get in anyone's way. You know, uh, if I can't add value, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm better off being on the sidelines and focusing on the next quarter and the quarter after that. There's no point walking around with a blowtorch in the last week of the quarter. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree, but it doesn't stop people doing it, right? So, uh, <laughs> um, let me change gears a little bit. Um, you know, you've you've had a big portion of your career, um, especially now at Adobe, working with vendors that are really transforming the world of selling and and the whole notion of customer experience. How are you seeing selling change? Because for me, uh, if you look at the sort of three main phases of selling, you know opening the opportunity, then trying to progress it, and then closing. 
to me, the most difficult and most important phase is opening. <laughs> it's really hard to gain access initially. And there's a lot of tech out there that's, you know, measuring and looking for buyer sentiment and trying to start people on a buying journey to then hand off to those sellers. How are you seeing selling changing from your point of view? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Sony. And look, I mean, professional selling, which you've tracked as a theme for a long time, there are so many things that will never change that are just universal when it comes to professional selling. And there's a few that have absolutely changed. One of them is the quality of the outreach. That has absolutely changed. Um, you would think working from home that executives have more time on their hands. They don't. They have less time. They're more impatient. And getting to them, you would think, is easier because they're not spending time on planes. Uh, and their gatekeepers, their, their EAs, uh, in theory, should have much more access to them. That is not true. Uh, and I know this even from my own experience. Executives are harder to get to, and they expect a much higher level of quality in the outreach. Um, that, for me, has changed, and it's changed quite markedly, I'd say, Tony, in the last 18 months, and maybe COVID has been an accelerant for that. Um, but I know even in my own experience, the outreach that I get, uh, people that want time on my diary, and 99% of them get ignored um, because they haven't done the research, uh, they haven't followed a proper channel of a warm or a hot and ideally personal introduction, uh, the outreach has no insight and therefore offers no value. And so you have no choice when you're a busy executive but to stack rank the approaches. And again, in most cases, that for me is completely outsourced uh, to my EA, as it is with many executives. So I think that's changed. Um, and there's, there's some pressure there on professional salespeople and sales leaders to make sure that the quality of the outreach uh, is better than it has ever been. So that's one. Another thing that I think has changed, uh, Tony, and it's, an, it, it's a subset, if you like, of the outreach, is the point of view. Uh, you have to have a well-researched point of view, and that point of view, in my mind, has to relate to one um, thing, which is top-line growth, and if it's not top-line growth, then it's bottom-line or cost-out-related benefit. A lot of the outreach that I see and a lot of the uh, insight that I see lacks a strong point of view on how you can actually help organizations with their top line or their bottom line. And those two metrics ultimately uh, is what executives care about. Uh, now, they care about a lot of other things, people, obviously, um, and customer support and customer satisfaction and manufacturing operations and go-to-market and all of those things. But ultimately, when you talk to an executive about the two things that they care about, it's growth, either top-line growth or, or bottom-line margin expansion. So those two things, I think, for me, uh, have changed a lot, Tony. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what the next evolution of professional selling is. But like I said, there's many things that are universal. Uh, those two things, for me, have absolutely changed. Well, there there are great insights for people. Hey, can I just encourage everybody? I'm just having a look uh, at the feed from LinkedIn. So uh, in, in this LinkedIn live event, I can see comments here. Lots of people, Simon, that you and I have worked with in years gone past. Uh, Kirsty Wilson, Lindsay Brown, wow. Uh, all of those amazing people, they're really good memories from the past. Um, so please feel free to type in some questions. We'll have a, a Q&A session in, in about 10 minutes time. 
Um, Simon, so let's let's talk about sellers. What what do you look for uh, in a successful salesperson? You know, what are the qualities and traits that you think really make make someone successful today? Yeah, and so Tony, let's talk about some of those things that are universal and haven't haven't changed at all. Uh, and you know, their, their qualities around persistence, perseverance, um, hustle. Uh, you know, there. I, I think you said a long time ago that professional selling uh, is not a science; it's a gift. Um, and I still fundamentally believe that. You know, you know a good salesperson when you see them in action and you see them in full flight. Uh, and there are still a, a lot of very, very good professional salespeople around. Um, I think what has changed, though, is there's been a move away from that mercenary, hard-hitting, bash-through-doors uh, type salesperson that, that you and I probably would have had something to do with back in the day. Uh, so the type of style now that has to be much more communicative, collaborative, um, someone that has a maturity about them, that they're able to not only navigate complex politics in a customer environment, but I would say now need to be stakeholder management experts within their own organisations. Getting things done now is much harder than what it used to be. Uh, and that's not just the function of companies that we work for getting bigger and more complex and more matrixed. It's because there's a whole lot of additional processes that we now have to deal with. Legal, REVREC, uh, deals desk, compliance, audit. You know, everyone needs to be running their business as a clean sheet. Uh, you can't get away with bad behaviours. And so the good salespeople for me are salespeople that not only engineer value, lead with insight, have a strong point of view, have strong executive connections or at least are able to sponsor strong executive connections in their accounts and prospect base. So those things are table stakes. Of equal importance, though, is their ability to navigate their own internal metrics and to actually get things done. And this comes up all the time when I talk to sales leaders and professional salespeople where they've won a deal, um, but it never closes. Or <laughs> they've won a deal, but it never closes in the quarter that they said it would close in. Uh, now, some of that is just poor process and risk management, which was spoken about. But some of it is because they haven't caught the gotchas in their own internal organisation. Yeah. Um, and this, I think, is especially important for new people coming in, Tony. You know, I remember when you could be productive as a professional salesperson or a professional sales leader in one quarter. Your ramp time was considered three months. Yeah. And so you got a free kick for one quarter and then you were on your own. Uh, there is no way it takes three months anymore. It's six, nine, in most cases, a full year to be productive. And that's not because of a lack of market smarts. It's because the products that we're representing are generally uh, much more complex or more strategic and therefore much more important uh, and much more highly embedded into a customer's landscape. And it's because our own internal organizations have become a little more complex. And so the internal navigation, um, I think, has slowed down or at least impacted in, in part sales process. 
So to answer your question, you know, if I was looking at, you know, the gold standard of salesperson or sales leader, it's someone that can play both those roles and navigate both those streams simultaneously. Um, And that's not easy. Yeah, because increasingly today, the seller is competing for resources against the other sellers in their own organization, right? They they need all of this this help to get a deal over the line. Hey, Mm -hmm. let's... Let's just circle back and provide some good advice for the salespeople that are watching this. Um, so I've heard some really great things here, Simon. If someone wants to gain access to the C-suite, someone like you, one of the things you've said is they have to have a worthwhile point of view for you. So they need to turn up with a point of view. And ideally, that's around helping you with your highest priorities, which is typically driving top-line revenue growth. Right? There's lots of other things, but but have a point of view about something important to the person in the C-suite. You'd, You'd, you'd agree with that with that being really important? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned this in, in your book, Tony, where you say executives don't need more friends. Yeah. Uh, they don't. Uh, they need people that have insights and they're going to help them. And they will not give time to answer a whole bunch of questions for you to learn about their business. That's not what they're there for. Um, I expect you to have those insights before uh, they bother returning your call. Um, now, the good thing is that most insights are available um, and are available with doing 10 or 15 minutes worth of research. So this is not necessarily a labor-intensive part of the sales process, but it's absolutely an important part of the sales process. But again, you know, executives that I talk to will always be willing to grant a meeting if there's a warm ideally hot and personal introduction or referral. So that absolutely helps. Uh, So I'm much more likely to grant a meeting or a call or just to spontaneously call someone if someone has sent me a WhatsApp saying, hey, Simon, I need a favour. This person's really close to me um, and this is what they need. Would you mind just giving them a call for five minutes? Uh, I'm more than happy to do that. Now, that obviously requires an existing personal relationship. And so for a professional salesperson, you need to be networked uh, at least to the two or three degrees of separation from that executive in in order to get that outcome. Um, But that by far is the most effective tool available to us. And then second to that, you have to have an insight and you have to have a point of view. Yeah. What's interesting, Tony, is that insight and that point of view doesn't need to be bang on. It just needs to be good enough that you get the call. Yeah. Then you can pressure test the insight in a friendly environment. Um, and so, look, that's what we do. Uh, it works really well. There's one other trick that we use uh, as part of our process. It's called Exec Connect. Um, and this is where you can absolutely use title to get a meeting and get an introduction. Uh, So my team will use me to get the exec connect. If they can't get to the executive, that then becomes my responsibility. So I don't divorce myself of that responsibility. It's part of the value that I should be adding. Uh, And therefore, if we can't get to an executive in a customer or a prospect, well, that then falls on me. Uh, I then do the outreach um, and the benefit is that I can use title. Uh, interestingly, across APAC, that works to varying degrees. Uh, in Asia, it works really well because culturally they tend to be a little more hierarchical. Um, in Australia, it's normally the reverse. 
but um, you know it works to varying degrees. But that that would be my tip: lead with insight, have a strong point of view, use Exec Connect, uh, use title um, where you need to, and obviously make sure that introduction uh, is is warm or hot and personal. Yeah, I love that, and I and I agree with you. The the highest probability of success is a path through a trusted relationship, absolutely. So I definitely agree with that. Um, mate, let's talk about channels of engagement. Um, so you actually mentioned WhatsApp. So um, maybe you don't, you don't want me to divulge this, but you kind of have, right? But the reality is, for anyone in your inner circle, WhatsApp is the communication channel, right? So what, what, what's your experience with communication channels that work? Because the thing I find and the feedback I get from other CEOs is hardly anybody actually phones them these days, right? Like hardly anybody worthwhile actually phones them. People are just doing LinkedIn and email, for example, and there's just this flood of stuff there that gets ignored. So what's your advice about best channels if you want to get through to a CEO? Yeah, and isn't that amazing, Tony, that no one uses the phone? I mean, I can't believe that. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the first thing I'm going to suggest is that if you're a salesperson or a sales leader trying to um, be successful without remembering how to use the phone, then, then you're on a slippery slope to nowhere. Uh, pick up the phone and, um, and use it. It is still the most effective tool. Uh, I mean, you mentioned WhatsApp. I mean, you know, people use lots of different platforms, but... An interesting part of the qualifier in dealing with executives is qualifying what their preferred means of communication is. It's not a natural qualifier that I see used often, and it should be. Um, so if someone was to contact my EA and ask for access to me, they should say, what is Simon's preferred means of communication? She'll likely say phone or WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, get too many emails, which means I miss them. Uh, and they're largely informational, not action-orientated, so I ignore them. Uh, or it's very easy to work on the assumption that uh, if it's really important, someone will either email me again and again and again and again, or they'll just call me or WhatsApp me. So qualifying what someone's preferred platform is is really important. Uh, but to answer your question, what works for me, WhatsApp, yes, um, because it's just easy for me. Uh, and it's also the tool that my family used to communicate with me. And in my world, there is no blurring of work and home anymore. Uh, there is no work-life balance. There's just balance. Uh, yeah. And so for me, it's one tool that I use to communicate with everyone in my life, including uh, people that I work with and including my customers and prospects. And it works really well. Um, and it's a very quick visual prompt for me, whereas email is not. Um, but the other one, Tony, is is the phone. I'm much more likely to return a phone call uh, because I'll see the missed call. And even though I have a very structured day, uh, there'll be 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of white space somewhere in my day where I will return calls. And if the outreach is a quality outreach and the voicemail has a quality point of view or insights or a referral, then again, I'm much more likely uh, to return the call. Um, so I'd encourage everyone listening to, to use that trick, you know, qualify what means your uh, customers actually want to be communicated on um, and at what time of the day. That's important as well. Hey, Simon, I'm just, just seeing a question in here from Julie who asks, um, 
what's the most unique approach you, you've had from a salesperson? <laughs> um, true story. So this this particular person found um, my favourite red wine. Uh, now I won't tell you all what it is uh, because. <laughs> because I'd be giving it away. But I love my red wines, and there's one in particular that, that I love. Um, and it's a reasonably uh, priced um, red, uh, nothing else. It's, uh, it's, it's not Hill of Grace, by the way. <laughs> not quite. Um, but to this person's credit, they went to the ends of the earth to figure out what it was, uh, and they sent me a bottle to my home. Um, with a lovely note that says, uh, that said, Simon, uh, you don't know me, um, but I would be grateful to spend five minutes with you. Please call me back with a phone number. How can I resist? Um, and, si I, I and, and, and Simon, the, the kind of subtext is, and given that I figured out what your favourite wine is and I've got your home address, you know, you sh I wouldn't ignore me. <laughs> That's right. Look, and I wouldn't recommend that. For everyone, it is a little creepy and uh, and stalkerish like, um, but yeah, hey, it worked. It, it had the outcome exactly. Hey, young um, one one of the common things that I hear from leaders is, is they just can't cope with wafflers. You know, p people that turn up at their door tell these long, meandering, you know, bedtime stories that send you to sleep, and you're thinking, is is there a punchline here somewhere? Is there a question at some stage? Is there an ask? And it's the same with the sellers that, that that spring from the bushes into their life, right? And they have these long, you know, I'm from this company and we're the market leader. And then they have all the fake rapport building, empathy stuff. Like I just find that that certainly turns me off. I'm busy. I just want people to get to the point. Yeah. Is that your view as well? What, what What's your comment? Absolutely, Tony. And I think that is um, the case with, with every executive because they're just too busy. Uh, no one likes a waffler, let's be honest. Uh, get to the point, but don't be rude or, or abrasive uh, or arrogant yeah. uh, because they will have the same effects as yeah. the effect of the waffler. So balance. Um, but, you know, my view is if you can't say what you need to say in under a minute, um, then you need you need to work on your script. You know, a good friend of mine, uh, Tina, who does a lot of uh, coaching for our executive team, has a program that she calls LPG Twenty Two, which is which is fascinating, and it stands for language, presence, and gravitas in twenty two seconds. Now she's a professional newsreader, wow. and in her research, you have twenty two seconds to keep me interested. And if you can't hold me for 22 seconds, it's game over. Um, so we've rolled out some of that training to our exec team, and it's really interesting um, because those that are otherwise verbose now all of a sudden have become <laughs> quite pointed in terms of their communication stuff. Um, but no one likes a waffler. It's true, mate. Life life is way too short. Hey, um, I got a great question here from from Nick Nick Lambro. Hey, hey, Nick, thanks for joining us. It's been a long while, mate. Um, the question for you, Simon, is that uh, you mentioned the importance of staying close to the front line. How have you balanced your natural comfort zone of sales excellence with the wider needs of a, of a, of a business, finance, corporate governance, board member, investor, stakeholder management role as well? 
Yeah, hi Nick. Good to uh, good to see you. It's certainly been a long time, my friend. Um, look, great question, and and I think this is this this is the blessing and the curse of um, you know when you move up the value chain, if you like, Tony. Um, although I would invert the value chain to say that still the most important people in the sales value chain are the account executives. Um, look, in my role, I have. Uh, obviously an interconnect with every function in the business, legal, uh, finance, obviously governance, uh, audits and compliance, um, operations strategy. But when you break it all down, uh, those functions exist as support mechanisms for the sales organisation. Why? Because the sales organisation is responsible for driving top-line growth in the business. So whether you call those functions a value-added team or an integrated part of the leadership team or whatever, uh, you know, the the fact is they are there to um, help sales teams be successful. Um, And by the way, I think those roles have become much more strategic and value-accretive over the years. Um, I remember in the day when there was the sales prevention squad inside of most organisations. Um, I don't see that anymore. Um, you know, certainly every function that we have in our business uh, is a very well-tuned and integrated part of the distribution organisation and by design. You can't do deals that are complex without having legal stamp it and deals desk stamp it. You can't do deals without having strong corporate governance and audits. So all of those functions, Nick, I think are really important. Um, for me, how do I maintain that balance? Um, I try to spend at least 50% of my week in the field on customer-related uh, issues and really in the trenches with the salespeople and the sales leaders. And the other 50% of my week is on the things that support that 50%. Um, now, it may not be 50-50 every week. It's seasonal. Uh, obviously, this week being uh, end of quarter for us, um, I'm a little more focused on uh, the cross-functional elements of our business than I am in the field uh, because I can't add any value there in the last week. Um, but next week, that may that may look different. So that's the way I do it. Um, I'm not sure whether that works for everyone. But um, if you try and maintain that 50-50 balance, I think that would work. Yeah, thanks, Simon. And and Nick, the thing I find uh, is that it's often the reverse problem. Often what we've got is people that are not in a CEO role having come from a sales background. So they're really good at the finance, the admin and all of those other things. And they struggle to actually get out of their comfort zone to add any value on the sales piece. And I just encourage any any sales leaders that are, that are here watching this, if you don't have a sales background yourself as your path to leadership, it's really a case of knowing what questions you need to be asking your sellers. And when you get involved in the sales process, don't turn up and talk about us as an organization, right? So that thing of point of view is equally as important because your clients or potential customers are really interested in what others like them are doing to move the needle. And if you can bring that perspective, but I'd encourage to ask your sellers, you know, what, why is this essential for the client? Why should it be a priority? what will your contact say to the CEO when they're asked? If, the, if their boss says, look, we've got, I've got 37 things on my desk I'm being asked to approve. We can't do them all. You know, why this one? 
if your seller can't articulate what our contact's going to say, uh, and the other half of the sentence is, you know, and it pays for itself by. So if people can't explain why this should be a priority and how it funds itself, you know, our deal's in trouble. So you can still hold your sellers to account in the questions that you ask and get them to elevate their thinking, even if selling's not not your core background. So, hey, um, Simon, we, we're just coming up on the 45 minutes. I just want to encourage everybody, uh, go and check out P6. Simon, what's the website address for them to go and have a look at that? Yeah, you can go to p6risk.com. Um, or just search P6 Risk on the uh, iOS, the Apple App Store. Uh, Android's coming. I don't have Android yet, but uh, iOS is certainly up. And if you're if you're running, especially a large sales organisation, and you're struggling with forecast accuracy in the organisation through to the board, um, absolutely have a look at P6. It, it's uh, truly brilliant. Um, really encourage you to connect with Simon and LinkedIn. Hey Simon, I, I just want to wrap up with this last question. Um, if, if you could do a back to the future thing and go back in time and you could meet the 25 year old you, <laughs> you could go and give yourself some advice. You know, what, what, what advice would, would, would you give yourself? Well, I think you knew the 25 year old me, Tony. So I would probably, I would probably ask you, uh, look, I, I would probably say, don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, at, at 25 with, you know, filled with lots of blind ambition. Um, I think I was a pretty intense individual, so I'd probably tell myself just to calm down a little bit. Um, and I would also say, you know, buy houses and not cars because had I done that, I probably would have been in a much better financial situation than I am now. Well, yeah, and... Um... Yeah, so I so I I did work with Simon when I think it was around that age. Uh, unbelievably successful, unbelievably driven, and and it's really funny that you say that. I've I've waited till later in life to spend money on cars for me. So I so I definitely agree with you. But yeah, I like I, I would I would have said to my twenty five year old self, um, like don't take yourself so seriously. And it's not all about you, <laughs> right? We because we tend to get very driven, and sales is kind of like that. And um. You know, for all of us watching this, selling at the end of the day, and leadership is the same thing as a CEO, it's all about making a positive difference in the lives of others, uh, both personally and professionally. You know, that's, that's, that's what we should, we should be all about. And if we're all about that and there's strong intrinsic value in what it is we're taking to market, then things will generally take care of themselves if we, if we run a good discipline focus way of operating. So, um, Simon, th thank you so much for joining us uh, on the very first CEO Sales Insights show. I really appreciate it. Uh, everybody, please make sure that you either follow or connect uh, with Simon in LinkedIn. So we'll give you back a couple of minutes in your day. Uh, also, I encourage you to go and visit Sales IQ Global, who actually brings you this show. Uh, so we specialize in helping people solve that top of funnel sales pipeline problem. Uh, and sales execution. So go and have a look at Sales IQ Global as well. So th thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next uh, CEO Sales Insights show in a month. Thanks, Simon. Bye, everyone.